0: to the Retirement Plan Playbook. I'm Brent Pasqua, here with Matthew Thiel and Joshua Wintersweig. We've got the group all here. How are you guys doing? Yeah, I'm, I'm doing great, Brent. I'm really excited to record this podcast today. So we're in episode 30, and today's topic is the best strategies to sell your business. I uh, just wanted to start by asking a question. Baseball just started, and basketball is starting soon. What are your thoughts on sports right now?
1: You forgot hockey, man. Hockey Hockey starts on Saturday too. Yeah. So sports are back. I'm loving life. My wife's not that happy because we just watch baseball every night and soon to be basketball and hockey. Um, So the the days of streaming Netflix are over in my household.
2: I was uh, not as excited for baseball this year, probably because of the COVID and everything that's going on. But uh, really excited for basketball to start up. I think just because the Lakers, you know, were paused at such a crucial time. They were doing so well right before the the pause for this season. So but excited. I'm in the same boat as you, Matt, too. My wife's upset that sports are on the TV all day now and all night. And, uh, I think she's getting sick of it. <laughs> I think there's a lot of reasons why to be
0: excited about sports. I mean, not only was it gone for so long, but then there's these new styles of how we're doing this season. So there's so many unknowns. Basketball is, I still don't quite understand it, but it sounds like it's a tournament. And then, uh, hockey going to be, I think a tournament, right? Matt.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm not quite sure what hockey's doing. All I know is hockey has the smartest TV schedule. I I think what they're doing is they're showing like a game every three hours, so no games will compete against each other, which is kind of cool. So you could do a marathon, right? And then baseball is just on an island,
0: you know, always, and they can't even get through one weekend with the team, you know, (laughs) sweeping through COVID, so. It seems like basketball, MLS, hockey, they've all done it the right way, and then there's baseball. They
2: They always got to do it like their own way. They can't change for anybody. It's that uh, that old traditional sport, I guess, huh? Yeah, but it's fun to watch, and I'm glad it's on TV, and so at least we
0: have some sports starting up and excited for what's coming. Uh, Let's start with the hot take headlines. A question I have is, is the 60-40 traditional portfolio dead? It's been talked about a lot lately. I've seen a lot of articles on it. Matt, let's start with you. What's your thoughts?
1: Uh, Brent, they wrote these articles in 2010 and the 60 portfolio has done really well since then. And the thing, the thing with the 60, 40 portfolio is it's really created to do two things. One's the 40, the bonds is created to give you stability in retirement, create that income, right? On the 60, the stock is for the growth and unless you really think you know bonds are going to return negative for a 10 year period then no the 6040 portfolio is not dead it's still alive and kicking and during the sell off it only dropped by 20%. So no it's it's
2: still alive it's still kicking it's it's still the best portfolio for retirees. I think it's just easy to say with bond yields being so low, right? I guess where it's it's dry, a lot of the headlines, you know, driving from is Bond yields are, are very low. They're predicted to be low going forward. But again, with portfolios, we're not just only thinking about the short term. And we've seen the track record of the 60/40 portfolio. Like 82% of the time, it has positive rates of return. And so, you know, looking at it just in a very small time frame, I think is you know easy. To say that it's dead, but uh, I think I'm with you, Matt. I don't think the 60 portfolio is dead. I think it does serve a great purpose. It has one of the best track records over the last 50 years. And I think it's still a, a really great tool for investors for not only now, but the future in retirement.
0: And you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, but part of this is being led by some of the analysts predicting that stocks over the next 10 years aren't going to do as well as stocks have done during previous decades which means that with bonds rates being so low and potentially stocks not doing so well over the next decade, that expected rates of return are going kind to of drop to a level that's so minimal that that could impact, let's say if you were, had a portfolio, you're retired and taking a 4% withdrawal rate, that could actually affect how long your money lasts. So do you believe that some of those predictions over the next decade that stocks would actually be or have its lower expected rates of return? Because we know bonds are in a different environment.
1: I mean, that could be true that we could get lower expected returns from stocks and it might be a little bit more difficult for retirees to get that income. Um, But the 4% withdrawal rate, I mean, take your money and times it by 25. So 25 years of retirement, that's 4%. You don't have to earn any interest. Yeah. So I don't know. I feel like a lot of times they do this to get clicks or sell products.
2: Yeah, one of the, the articles I was reading on the sixty forty portfolio being dead had an estimated stock rate of return of 4.2 over the next 30 years. Right, gosh. Like, come on, guys.
0: Yeah, it's interesting to see these predictions. I mean, predictions, as we've been dealing with sort of this year, people will write and say just about anything to get some extra clicks or to get noticed. So this, this may be another one. I don't believe either that 60-40 is dead. I understand the concept behind it and what people are saying, but I don't think these predictions are generally you know, that accurate. Let's move on. So demand for guns is currently off the charts, especially with first-time buyers. What's your take right now on the push for guns? Josh, Let's start with you.
2: It makes sense. I think that's my, my take. Uh, with all of the, uh, again, with headlines and, and kind of the public's outreach about defunding the police and people just feeling unsafe, I think that the demand for guns um, just makes sense, uh, and that's my take on it. I, I think that you know there are a lot of first-time gun owners, too, that are going back and purchasing guns and going through those background checks. I think the FBI had a record 3.9 million background checks in the month of June. It's the largest number since 1998. So it, it is kind of alarming that so many people are going out and purchasing guns. Um, but I think that it's just, it, it makes sense for kind of the times that we're in and people feeling unsecure.
1: Yeah, uh, I agree. F- follow the money. People are scared. And, and this should tell you that, you know, people aren't happy with the political climate we're in today. You know, what matter what fence you're on, though, I mean, the one thing we want is safety and guns can provide that. So, that, you know, we, we don't like seeing unrest.
0: And people fear isolation, right? We've just been put into a time where we've been isolated. And in the beginning of the pandemic, people started hoarding food. You know, I remember going to the store. I had to go grab something that I think it was on March 14th. It's right after that Wednesday that shut down basketball. And I remember going to the store because I had to get some cough syrup for my daughter. And I went in there and each line was at least 25 people deep with baskets just full of just stuff. And I couldn't believe like what I was seeing. And I started to wonder one night, what happens if there was so much scarce food that people just started robbing your houses to take food? I mean, could that ever even be possible? You know, and one thing I heard on another podcast too was I thought was interesting is what happens if this virus had a, you know, fatality rate of 10%. Would police show up to work? Would store people show up? Would the military be able to stay structured? I mean, that that leads into a lot of other things. Now, I'm not big on conspiracy, but I can understand why people start to have these fears nowadays. Yeah. It's just so much uncertainty and so much unknown that drives that fear. Uh, last one. Have, you, have either of you
1: uh, ever heard of GPT-3? I hope we're saying that right because we're not tech guys. <laughs> Let's <laughs> put that out there right
2: now. <laughs> I'll, I guess I'll start here. I didn't hear about this until like – Matt, you came up with this headline for the show today, and I didn't had no idea what, what that was until I, I googled it and did some research on my own. So my take on this is: before this podcast, I had no idea what GPT three was. It's bananas, isn't it?
0: Yeah, and why don't? Because I didn't know what it was either. And once I look, started watching some of the videos on it, it's it's pretty interesting. So maybe I'll, let's have you describe
1: it because I don't even know if I could describe it correctly. I'm not technical, but I'll take a shot. A bunch of smart people. I believe Elon Musk is involved, had created this software language called OpenAI, and this GPT-3, I think, is some kind of generator where you tell the software what you want it to do, and it does it for you. Um, For example, if I said, teach me how to paint a flower, I've seen online where it comes out with step-by-step instructions on how to paint a flower if i put a paragraph in and say turn this into legal speak right like how a lawyer would write, it could turn it into a legal language it, right and you could you can have it something like you could have
0: a topic on a book that you want to write and you just write up some of the basic topics and it could basically
1: write a whole book for you yeah exactly it's it's insane
2: i thought that was really fascinating that like cuz it it continues to adapt on its own like a lot of like the artificial intelligence like we have to continue train it but like it's constantly adapting to your own language and like its language i thought that was kind of crazy when i read that i don't know if i explained that perfectly but
0: but you could see how it could really change business and and even podcasts. because if let's say you wanted to do a topic you put the topic and the contents in there it could literally produce maybe a voice animated podcast for you
1: mm-hmm. oh yeah absolutely and then to go back to the sixty forty real quick Stuff like this is why I think you should be bullish on stocks, man. Like they're literally creating software that does, you know, the most rudimentary jobs. And now it's starting to do the most detailed and hard jobs. Like Wait till companies get a hold of this. Wait till more smart people get this in their hands and imagine what they're going to create.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, be able just to create business memos and emails and things like that, where you could write some of just the basic stuff what you need. and It puts the descriptions in there. That's pretty fascinating to think of what they could possibly do with this. I know there's, it sounds like there's a lot, there's been a lot of advancements, but it seems like there's a lot still to be, needs to be done. But uh, it sounds like it's, it's taking off though.
1: The next 10 years are going to be pretty wild on this uh, AI software front for sure.
0: All right, let's get into the retirement planning corner. Uh, this topic today is a little bit different than our traditional retirement planning topics. Uh, we're gonna to be talking about the best strategies to use to sell your business. And there's really actually only eight different ways that you can transfer your or sell your business. Today, we're gonna to go through all eight different ways and some of the reasons why people would choose those ways to sell their business. And it's pretty fascinating if you start to think about, you know, as you've built your business up, what are the ways that you can actually exit that business and extract the value of that business out of it, but also in a way that is keeping your dream alive in the way that you've wanted to either sell it and and walk away or walk away from it? So let's talk about option number one. The first and one of the most common ways to sell your business is to transfer the company to a family member, and that could be a child, uh, a cousin, a niece, a nephew some type of person within your family that has been working in the business has become a key employee and you now want to transition that business to that key employee and sometimes i think business owners will make promises to that family member working in there that they want to transfer or sell the business to them they don't technically usually know how to do it but if you have a son or daughter i mean that's a very emotional passionate thing that you may want to sell your business to that family member to keep your vision alive What are some reasons, Matthew, why people will sell their business to a family member?
1: So I have four reasons. Um, Number one is, I mean, you kind of stated it, is they're going to want to keep the business in the family. Sometimes, you know, it's an ego thing. But then sometimes it's also like, hey, you know, like I built this up over the last 30 years. Uh, My son or daughter's been involved. They've helped a lot over the last 10 years. And now I'm ready to retire. I want to transition it to them. So it keeps it in the family and you can pass it on for generation to generation, right? And it becomes something that grandpa created. Next thing is, you know, a lot of parents want to take care of their kids, right? Maybe son, daughter, 25, 30, 35 years old, they're struggling through a career. Well, learning the family business could be a good way to transition it to them. And then if you've built a good company culture and a good mission, this is a very easy way to keep that going. And if you do still want to be involved in the company or have some kind of input, selling to your family members or your kids is, is a great way to do that. You can stay on the board, maybe. Um, you can talk about it at Christmas. It's a good strategy, very popular.
0: Yeah, and a lot of people, I'm sure, feel very passionate about their son or daughter working inside of their business and they want to keep that family business going. You know, Not everybody's just ready to retire at that moment. It does allow them to stay in the business or slightly watch over it as the son, daughter, family members taking over, correct? Yes, absolutely. The second way to sell your business is to sell your business to one or more key employees. Uh, a key employee is generally somebody who has substantially contributed to the success of the business, knows the business well, goes above and beyond expectations of the business. And at times, you know, you, a business owner may have had these conversations with a key employee that they are one day going to sell them or offer them shares in the business. Generally, a lot of times a business owner also knows that this key employee can, can successfully run the business because they know so much about it beyond the owner retiring. What are, Josh, some of the other reasons why a business owner would sell to a key
2: employee? The selling to a key employee is very similar to selling to a family member, right? They just don't have that relation. It's selling it to someone that's already inside the company, that's already part of the entity. And so you're selling it to that known party, which is the key employee. Um, So a lot of the same reasons, like continuing the same mission and culture that that business has already built, keeping that business in the community um, with the same infrastructure that it's already had. Um, and again, with this strategy as well as selling to a key employee, and this is very common when someone doesn't have maybe a family member to transfer it to as well, um, but it, the owner can remain involved with the business. Um, and so if an owner, again, wants to see and reduce his risk after his exit by staying involved with this strategy, he can do that while maintaining you know everything he's built um, and transferring it to someone that he knows, you know for the most part, likes and trusts at the same time. It um, and, and can be you know a very good strategy for an owner to exit the business. Now, if you're
0: a business owner, you're thinking about, yes, my, my desire would be to sell my business to my key employee or key employees or my family member, but they don't have the money. Is that a reason for them not to make this a consideration? No, not at all. So, so the, the concern that a lot of business owners have when they're looking at possibly selling a business to a family member or a key employee is that they're not going to be able to have the money to to sustain it or to buy the business. That should not be the reason that you don't sell it to a key employee or to an owner. There is ways to structure the deal that you're using the positive cash flow from the business to be able to transfer it and sell it to a family member or to an owner that is very successful. The business has to be able to have positive cash flow and to be able to sustain it and run it and has to be able to continue on. So if you have a strong, structured business, just because the key employee or the family member doesn't have the money to buy it, doesn't mean that that cannot successfully take place and the business owner cannot extract their money from the business. So don't make that a hurdle because that hurdle can be overcome. The third option on uh, selling your business is to sell your business to employees using an ESOP plan or also known as an employee, employee stock option plan. Matt, tell us a little bit about employee stock options.
1: Yeah. So an ESOP plan is actually a qualified retirement plan. Um, It's very typical to like a profit sharing plan, or you can even think of it kind of like a 401k. And all the employees would participate and get ownership in the company. There's probably four reasons why you'd want to do this. One, again, you're transferring it to a known entity, right? You're transferring it to those employees. Your key employees are going to get to participate, but so are also, you know, your lower level employees. So they get benefits in the company as well. You're going to continue that mission, that culture, and keep that community, everything you bought. And you you might even get more stay from your employees because they have a little stake in the game now. And some outlier benefits are you're going to get great tax treatment for doing this. As the owner, you're going to get your cash in your pocket much sooner. And like I was saying, it's going to motivate those workers, right? It's going to motivate the employees to stay, to best, and to hopefully get paid out by the company. The one negative, though, I, I will say is these can be costly strategies and also kind of complex. And it, it's difficult to un- understand these fully. There's a lot of different parties involved. Um, so I, I feel like quite a few owners shy away from this strategy usually.
0: Correct. And, it, and the company has to be larger in size generally. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, because you're going to need the employees to uh, you know, be able to suck up the size of the stock. Right. And if this does fit for a larger size business, I think a huge benefit
0: is the fact that the company and the employees share in the profits, right? So employees are more motivated to work hard to grow the value of the business because they're
1: an owner of the business, correct? Yep, yeah, so they'll just they're going to get their stock. Exactly. And stock is the ownership, so yeah. Very interesting. I think it's a
0: it's a complex way of planning. It's a complex way of doing it, but for businesses that makes sense it's very helpful to the long-term growth and and selling strategy of the business. Uh, Josh, number four is to sell to one or more co-owners. Tell us a little bit why someone would want to sell to their co-owner and why that, that could be
2: very helpful. So, selling you know to one or more of co-owners is just a common example is you know originally you start your business with a partner multiple partners it could be a family member or friend or just someone you did business with um and the ownership stake in the company is divided so it could be 50-50 it could be a third of you guys each and you know maybe you want to exit but the other two owners do not so you might just be a little bit older than the other two owners you have different vision or different you know, ideas about the future and you're looking to exit the business. And you know, that's another common strategy that I'm going to sell my ownership to the remaining owners of, of the company. And the reasons people do this, again, this is very similar to the key employee, selling to the key employee and selling to family members. I'm just selling it to someone you already know. Right, someone that um, you understand has that same commitment, has those same skill levels and that knowledge um, within the business, and you know them. You, you know, you have some trust built already. Um, and then that company can continue that culture, that mission, maintaining the community as well. Um, another, you know, reason or benefit uh, that you know selling to one or more co-owners too is the gradual, uh, incremental sales staged over seven years you know, a seven year offer for the owner. So you could actually stage this really over multiple years of exiting the business and plan for this. And it can be an intre- incremental payments over a certain amount of time. So that might even be attractive. Like, you know, I have a goal of exiting in 10 years. Let's start working on this, you know, now um, and I can get paid out in, in gradual steps over time, which can be beneficial to, you know, the business and, and the, the person that's exiting um, as well. So, and you can continue to actually remain in the business while you're having, you know, that distribution or that sale pushed out to you. So, a lot of benefits there too and this is pretty common especially with businesses that have multiple owners or partners.
0: Yeah, I think what makes sense here is if you're a multi-owner business and, you know, one business owner is older than the other two or that other business owner, then there's really no other better person to buy their shares of the exiting owners. Business shares than the other co-owner, right? Because they already own the shares, they already know the business, they could do a deal over a long period of time, and they can extract the cash from the business over a period of time, and and that's very helpful. I mean, I know there's key hurdles there, like price, for example, on what the shares are going to be actually worth, but those are all hurdles that are easily to get over. But that seems like a very very good option when selling a business, um, and when you're ready to exit and you have multiple owners.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Uh the fifth way to sell your business is sell to an outside third party. Give us an example, Matt, and some reasons why you'd want to sell to an outside third party.
1: Yeah, so this is the country club one, right? Where you know you're at the country club and you hear someone bragging, Oh, I sold my business. They are usually doing this stuff. <laughs> well, because people don't brag about selling their business to their kids or anything like that. <laughs> or their key so, employee? Yeah, like no one's really bragging about that. This is the one where the guy at the Country club bar, you overhear them. Oh, I sold my business for twenty million. And what's happening is usually it's some kind of private equity company coming in and purchasing the business. Uh, They might do a roll-up strategy. So an example would be they buy eye care facilities. So they go around and buy small eye care facilities, solo shops, and they put it under one big national umbrella. The reasons are pretty straightforward. As a business owner, is why you want to do this. You're most likely going to get maximum value for your shares. So that means you're going to get the most amount of cash in your pocket right away, and you could choose your departure date. Right, it's your business. You get to, you get to pick when you sell it. I feel like this. Most people come to us and say, "Hey, I want to do you know an outside third party sale," and it's probably because they've heard about it from someone they've come across throughout their career. Right,
0: and a lot. I think a lot of businesses see this as the only option to sell their business. Right, they see it, this as primary option number one: sell it to a third party. Correct.
1: Yeah, that's a great point. And they don't understand how the other ways could work. Right. And, and, and I think a
0: survey study that was done um, said that 60% of all business owners prefer not to sell it as a third party, though, because of the other reasons why you listed it as a benefit to selling it to a family member or to a key employee or to another corner to keep the vision, the culture, everything alive. Not very many business owners just want to sell their, their whole vision, the culture that they've created. To what they think is just you know a big conglomerate that's going to change their culture.
2: And they worked yeah. so hard their whole life to build this business, and you've you know created which is most likely like your baby. You know you watched it grow and, and now it's finally blossom, and you're at a point where you're exiting in a p- position to sell and move on to that next step. But you don't want to see it torn down to the ground. You know, and and so I think that that's probably where that statistic comes from a lot. And I also feel like just the media and society says like, when you sell your business, it's being sold completely to someone else. Just naturally, that thought is generated just within our society that like, when you exit your business, you're selling it to, you know, another business in your industry, or like Matt said, a private equity to get that big payday and that big, you know, paycheck and have that departure date set. So I think that mentality is kind of just built over time within our society.
0: And I, I think with an internal sale versus an external third party. sale, I mean, The difference between the owner being at work one day and then completely retired the next versus you know an internal sale where maybe the owner still has his feet in the doors and still overseeing it like you said on the board and things like that you know a business owner i'm every business owner i'm sure has some kind of goals or desires of what they want to do in their next step third-party sale is almost like transaction check you know and then they're departing so not always really the best option there's there's a lot of options but this is third party sells the most uh, thought out decision in terms of that's what most people think they're going to do. Uh, Option number six of the eight ways to sell your business is to engage in an initial public offering or also known as an IPO. Example of a more recent one would be Uber going public. Let's talk a little bit about this, Josh, and what are some of the reasons that people to do an IPO and are these very common?
2: Yeah, not, not very common at all. I mean, there, there's a lot of variables that go into a company actually exiting or, you know, leaving the business through an IPO offering. So this rarely, rarely occurs. Um, it's a very, very high valuation. And uh, there's cash infusion into the business with an IPO. You're raising cash to come into the business. And some of the disadvantages of doing that is, you know, there's no, there's a lot of loss of control you're having now being the owner and now it's going to initial public offering. Now this is a public company where you have shareholders and you have this fiduciary responsibility, this additional reporting. So it's it's definitely not as um, common. It rarely occurs and especially compared to the other options we just gave. Um, and there's just a lot that goes into you know an IPO and there's really no exit. So if we're talking about exiting at closing, yes, there might be a cash influx and you know some sort of a payday. Um, If everything goes well, but there's not a departure date or an exit at the closing of the IPO. So, you know, definitely some disadvantages there um, and a lot to think about if someone's thinking about an IPO offering.
0: Matt, do you know how expensive it is to do an IPO? Have you ever researched into that?
1: Yeah, it's pretty expensive. I don't don't know the numbers off the top of my head, but it's actually so expensive. That's why the, the tech unicorns don't like coming public. And then you're also subject to all the SEC reporting. So it really takes the fun away from being a business owner. You have to report to the SEC. One thing that's coming on, on the market, maybe we'll do a separate product um, another day, but it's SPACs. So that's a specialty acquisition co. And that's a little bit different of a way to actually go public instead of going through the IPO process. It's getting very popular right now. A couple of companies you may have heard of that have done it is the this Richard Branson's uh, the Virgin Space Company. I think it's called Virgin Galactic, right? They did, they did a SPAC. DraftKings did a SPAC. And they're really, really popular strategies right now to come public because it is a little cheaper than doing the IPO process. And generally, I mean, a company is pretty large if they're going through the IPO process, right? Yeah. I mean, there are some cases where you get, you know, $100, $200 million businesses. But for the most part, we're talking about companies with, you know, billion-dollar-plus valuations. Like I think when Uber came public, I believe it was valued over a hundred billion, but I could be wrong.
0: Option number seven uh, would be to retain ownership but become a, a passive owner. Why would somebody really want to do this? And what are some of the reasons people do this?
1: I honestly don't like this strategy. Like so an example would be, you know, you're you're a business owner and essentially you're gonna keep all your shares and you're gonna put somebody else in charge, but in a way you're not going to give them a ton of skin in the game and you're going to gradually become less active in the business. That's great, but I don't think you built your business by not showing up every day. So this is one for me, I I don't think is really good for owners to consider, but I mean, some of the benefits is you could maintain control. You'll keep your income high um, because you're still going to own shares in the business. Um, If the person in charge who is running the show for you is good then your shares will appreciate it over time but to me I'm I'm not a big fan of this one I mean this is sort of Josh like becoming
2: a silent owner correct Yeah yeah it is and I just I feel like this exit is like more of an exit without a real plan Not and you think you could really plan this out but I think that instead of decreasing risk it could raise just so many more risk and like Matt said not being there every day it not running like you normally run it. So I think that, you know, the idea of saying we're going to minimize risk by me still being a passive owner, I think that potentially there could be a lot of risk that's involved with that strategy, which makes me not like it as much. And, you know, you being a passive owner or even going completely silent, again, just not a, not a lot of upside that I like about this strategy, more risk involved.
0: Right. So I guess one of the risks that I was thinking too that could really happen is, let's say that you're a silent owner. You're not there every day. You're just taking shareholder profits at the end of the year. Your business slowly starts to diminish. You can't really get back in the business to build it back up again. And the value of your business just disintegrated over you know, a two or three year period. So now you can't even sell it for what you could have sold it in year one. Now you're selling it at a major discount of what it once was worth before you left and you thought you were doing a good thing because you still got your shareholder distributions, but the business value just completely just dropped.
2: And it's hard to evaluate the effect it has on like your employees, right? Like your managers, your employees, like how do you, how do you really evaluate that when you're no longer actively in the business every day? How does that affect the value and and the projection of the, the business going forward too?
0: Right. And then you'd worry about your employees
2: leaving to competitors and things like that. Not being motivated. Yeah.
0: So, yeah, I agree. I, I don't think Matt, like you said in the beginning, I don't. I don't believe this is one of the best options of the eight, but it is an option out there. Number eight isn't, uh, I think, a great option either, but it's on the list. Uh, the number eight would be to liquidate. So tell us a little bit about what yeah.
2: liquidating your business might do for you. <laughs> That's simple. Just sell the assets. You're you're selling all of the assets, and this is this is really common when. Um. Give an example of when uh, an owner would liquidate a business. Is a health event, right? There's a, a traumatic health event where we have to quickly come up with the cash, the the some sort of cash asset uh, value from the business that's left. So, a health event is just what pops into my mind first. Of someone becomes very sick, and we have to liquidate, you know, the assets to pay for you know, whatever's needed to be paid for at that time for, for the owner um, because all of the equities within the business. And also, I mean, really the reason just there's there's no other real option for the owner at that point. So if they've all looked at all of those seven other options and they're not obtainable, Liquidate is that final strategy of we just have to sell the assets and the business is, is no longer.
1: yeah I, strat- Sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say it's a strategy for people who don't have um, – a business that's very valuable, where their assets are probably slightly more valuable than their business is worth.
0: Yeah, the one thing that makes me think of too, and no business really is built up just so one day they could just liquidate the assets that they purchase. Unfortunately, it is one of those uh, ways that a business gets sold. If the business owner, let's say, um, passes away, and the spouse doesn't really know how to run the business, and there's not enough key employees that can sustain and run the business, Mm Key employees start to leave, you know, liquidating your business becomes really the only option I've heard and seen this happen a few different times um, just throughout uh, things that I've read of businesses that had to liquidate because of somebody passing away. And that is that is a very dramatic. I mean, you build a business up to have such a, a, a hopefully decent worth or value, and then you're having to just have the spouse sell it and liquidate it just because there's a health event like this. It's just a—it's an option that usually is, has to be done when there's not proper planning in place. Would you agree?
2: Yes. Yeah, when you were saying that, that's what I was thinking. There was no plan in place and we waited too long.
0: Yeah. Yeah, Liquidate should not be the, the best option. I think you know, the options of doing an internal sale or an external sale to a third party make the most sense. But like I said in the beginning, don't make money the issue of the reason you select the option the way you do to sell the business. There's a lots of ways to make these options work by just structuring the business correctly and having a plan going into the sales process. We work with a lot of clients on selling their business and creating these strategies and they work. They've always They've worked for time and time again. They work and there's ways to sell your business that way. RPA recommends, one of my favorite parts of the show, Josh, I, I remember the last show you had something for us uh, was a continuation of mine. Are you are you doing that one today or you got
2: something? Yeah, yeah. I, I uh, was ready for you and the recommendations um, today. So last time, just to refresh, if no one listened to the, the last podcast um, that's listening to this recommends, Brent said that he recommends looking up discount codes when he's shopping online because um, he's just saved a lot of money well i found a really good tool for you brent that i've been using this is my recommends it's called honey and it's an extension on your like internet browser so you download it and what it does is is when you're checking out like let's say you're at nike.com and you're checking out with the stuff in your bag and you hit the little honey browser extension that you can download for free it runs like all of the discount codes that users have put like in their database, to see if one's applicable like to the items that are in your cart. So I've used it a, a ton. I was actually trying to look right now to see if I could find how much money I've saved using it, but I don't think it tells you that. But it's so only Go
0: ahead. So, wait, so you don't have to sit there and Google search discount codes like I do for 20 minutes to find a discount code to save me five or 10 or $15. You could just have the app do it
2: for you. Yeah. So you're using the technology. And so what's cool is like they, like users are putting discount codes off, like frequently into the database. And so, you know, let's say it's going to give you seven different discount codes to try to find the lowest price whenever you're checking out online. So it takes the hassle of you having to Google search the discount codes out of it. So I really like it. Um, you should definitely try it and On next podcast give us an update to see if you like it. Uh, but uh, it, it's worked out for me well.
0: See this is just the difference between like your technology skills and mine. See, I, I took the concept of being able to, to want to use a coupon code and save money. But I would spend 20 minutes of trying to find the code to do it. Now, like, your generation just knows how to pull up an app that can do it for you in 30 seconds, and then you'll have to search the entire time.
2: I just hope that you don't like, wait two years to actually download it. Like, you waited two years to use the recommendation of searching discount codes. Yeah. So, so just download that sooner than later, and then we'll be good. No, I, I'm, I'm on this. I'm all about saving money on these websites now.
0: Matthew, what do you have for us?
1: Well, I was recently hit with some uh, pretty unfortunate news. Went to the doctor and got a bad health score. Since quarantine, blood pressure's just spiked like crazy. Probably, you know, dealing with a little of that quarantine stress. Weight up, you know, about 20, 25 pounds. So I had to make some life changes. Um, and so I, I started doing, you know, the at-home workouts a little bit more and a little harder. The company I'll recommend today is um, checking out Obey Fitness, OBE Fitness. Um, they have streaming workout courses from New York City's top instructors. You get a, a free trial for a month. That's what I'm on right now. But in general, you know, my recommendation is, is to make sure you're keeping your fitness up during quarantine. Mm. Um, don't pack on the pounds. Don't get the blood pressure going like I did. Good news is I started this two and a half weeks ago. I'm down about 15 pounds. So. Wow, but that, nice that's job, pretty. Man. That's pretty good. But yeah, I was getting uh, I was getting pretty large for a while. Let's just say that. And you're a pretty fit guy. Yeah, it, it happens fast. I mean, don't don't sleep on your health right now. I know people don't want to go to the doctors, but go to the doctors, get checked out, get your fitness up. Yeah, that's my I, recommend. I
0: I've been telling people that also, um, not about just keeping their fitness up, but also that working out at home wasn't what it was five years ago or, or and 10 years ago. I mean, not only has Peloton changed everything, but now you have the mirror, you have that, you have in-home workouts, you have so many different options. You don't need a bunch of equipment. You know, you don't have to think about needing a bunch of space to have store a bunch of equipment. You could literally do this in front of your TV. And a lot of these, you don't even need weights.
1: Yeah, I can't even get weights, so I don't have them. Yep. Uh, <laughs> but pretty cool you do five classes in your first week they send you a free resistance band so i got a resistance band now
2: oh
0: great yeah so you're lasting longer than a 30-day trial then i
2: don't know i'm still there we'll see how it goes (laughs) so so wait golf golf's not an exercise then it wasn't golf wasn't working for the only exercise of the week no it wasn't
1: unfortunately you know if you have a couple beers before or after your golf game you get out there that that increases your weight and even my attempts to speed it up by playing ready golf just haven't <laughs> quite the, uh, got the heart rate where it needed to be.
0: Yeah, you definitely play ready golf. So, so your whoop band is keeping you, it's helping
1: keeping you in shape then too, right? Yeah, and actually my whoop band is telling me I learned that I wasn't work, even when I thought I was working out hard, I wasn't nearly working out hard enough. And the other thing that's helped with is uh, telling me when I need to pare back my workout and not go as hard so my body can recover. Interesting. Very interesting.
0: I think that's a great recommend. I love it. Uh, It's great for quarantine time right now. So yeah, people work out. It's healthy. It's helpful. It doesn't have to be what it used to be. Uh, My RPA recommends is going to go on the side of, I'll piggyback something similar to yours. It doesn't have to do with working out. It has to do with eating. And one of the things, as you guys know and i have talked about on the show, that I've been taking up cooking a little bit more since we've been in quarantine. There's no restaurants. There's no going out. It's just basic cooking. So we want to cook good meals. Well, one thing that I always did was overcook any of the meats or fish or anything that I ever cooked. I was always overcooking it because I was scared I was going to undercook it, serve my family raw food and everyone gets sick. Well, I've been watching people use these meat thermometers where they're able to put the thermometer on the inside of the stove while the food cooks it. You stick it in your chicken or you stick it in your meat or fish. And then the little machine sits on the outside of your oven or on your counter. And then it just beeps once your food reaches a desired temperature, the temperature that you want it to be fully cooked. So now you're not having to open and close the door, let the heat in and out. Now you're not having to go check it every 10 or 15 or 20 minutes. You just leave the meat thermometer on the counter and it'll tell you when the food is done. Game changing for us. Our chicken is coming out perfect. Our fish isn't being overcooked. They're not very expensive. I think you can get them for $30 on Amazon. But they have the two probes that go from the little monitor into the oven that you don't you could leave it in there as when the food is cooking which is really crazy because you didn't think that wires could run into the oven but it works perfectly fine and a lot of people use them for
2: barbecues now right Josh like the yeah. and all that yeah yeah they're real popular especially when you're like smoking meat for a long time but uh, I don't which, have one that's a good recommends because I've been like debating whether to getting one yeah, uh, a thermometer. Get one. And just to try it out so you have to send me the the link to the one you got Brent if you like it absolutely
0: yeah and I think uh, like if you cook fish just slightly over the temperature it just comes out dry so by hitting that perfect temperature it just makes your food come out great so it's really helped us up our our skills in the kitchen we thank you for listening to retirement plan playbook if you have any questions or want to know more about our show please visit us at retirement plan playbook.com please rate us wherever you're downloading the podcast at Uh, we thank you and we'll see you next show bye 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 guys
3: RPA Wealth Management is a state-registered investment advisor located in Rancho Cucamonga, California. Registration does not imply a certain level of skill or training. RPA Wealth Management may only transact business in those states and jurisdictions in which it is registered or qualifies for an exemption or exclusion from registration requirements. A copy of RPA Wealth Management's current disclosure statement, Form ADV Part 1, containing RPA Wealth Management's business operations, services, and fees is available by accessing the SEC's Investment Advisor public disclosure website. RPA Wealth Management will provide Form ADV Part 2A, from Brochure, and 2B, Brochure Supplement, to interested parties upon request. Information provided on this podcast should not be construed as a solicitation or offer or recommendation to acquire or dispose of any investment or engage in any other transaction. RPA Wealth Management does not render or offer to render personal investment advice or financial planning advice through its podcasts. RPA Wealth Management podcasts are intended for information and educational purposes only.